Welcome to Marrow Masters, sponsored by the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Insight Corporation, and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow and stem cell transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. Here's the Executive Director of the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome, everyone. This series focuses on all things caregiving. We will hear from the experts and the experienced, and trust me, their know-how will offer caregivers and families at every stage of the journey best practices, tips, and most importantly, an abundance of hope. Caregivers will feel their support and compassion. Grab a few minutes for you and listen in. You will be glad you did. Today's episode features caregiver Kate Whitson. Kate was a caregiver to her husband Randy eight years ago. With a small child in tow, Kate learned a lot about caring for a loved one while trying to be a mom, a wife, and a daughter. Thanks for being with us today, Kate. Thanks, Peggy. I'm super happy to be here and try to share what I've learned about all of this. <laughs> Great. At the time uh, that Randy was diagnosed, that was 2012, and uh, he was only 43. And he was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And we also had a son, Max, and he was four, just about to turn five and about to go into kindergarten. So it was pretty challenging with um, a child. And I certainly learned a lot along the way. But just by the way, Randy, uh, today he's fine. He's in remission. He's healthy. No side effects. So he's doing really well. That's so great, Kate. Can you speak to how you and your husband explained Randy's diagnosis to Max so that he would understand it as a young child while keeping it age appropriate? Right. Honestly, um, that time's kind of a blur for me, um, if I'm going to be transparent about it all. The diagnosis that it makes your head spin. And um, there's still some details I can't fully remember in those initial days. But I remember that when we got the call from the doctor, we were lucky Max had already gone to bed. Um, so he didn't have to witness our emotional reaction to the diagnosis, which was pretty big. Um, we knew Randy was sick with something. We just didn't know what it was. And uh, it turned out to be leukemia that was extremely hard to hear over the phone um, at our dining room table. So luckily he was in bed and he didn't have to see that. Um, my dad happened to be in town because Randy had been feeling so sick that he was around. And so he was at our house within a few minutes of us getting the call. They had said that we needed to be at the hospital, I think at seven o'clock in the morning, just the next morning for about a month's stay. So we had about 12 hours to sleep and figure this out. So I wouldn't say I had an initial conversation with Max that I even remember. We honestly got the call after he was in bed and we left for the hospital before he woke up. My dad was with him. And I asked my dad if he had had a conversation with him. Um, and the answer is, I think it was pretty simple because of his age. It was daddy is sick and we're going to have to have him in the hospital so that he can get better. Because he was four and we didn't want to burden him with big words and scary things. So it was a pretty simple explanation for somebody his age. That makes sense, Kate. I think that sounds like it worked out really well the way it worked out. Can you share maybe what it was like the first time you brought Max to the hospital and then he saw his daddy hooked up to an IV in the hospital? Yeah. Um, shoot, I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> um, That's okay. I, I didn't get him up there until, sorry. <laughs> no problem. I didn't get him up there. Yeah, I haven't talked about it for a while, so it's a little different to talk about it. Okay. Sure. 
So I didn't actually get him to the hospital probably until about three days after Randy was admitted. He had to get a port put in, bone marrow biopsies. He had to have a spinal tap. um, And that was all the beginning. We didn't know kind of what end was up and we needed to kind of settle before we brought him up there. So honestly, we tried to make it as uneventful for him as we could. And I think I think that's so important. And that's what I keep thinking about as I was preparing to talk about this was, you know, when there's a child involved. And I know that we were pretty blessed with the age that he was. He was too young to understand the big stuff. But we really tried to make the whole thing uneventful. So I talked to him and said, we're going to go see daddy. And I wanted him to know that daddy was going to have, I'm saying this in adult words, but an IV. And he had a port. Some people get pick lines. He had a port. So it was going into his chest. And at the time, Max was really into, you know, superheroes and all of those things. And so I just told him that when he saw daddy, it was going to be kind of cool, like Tony Stark or something, you know, and um, (laughs) that, you know, this pole that has the bag on it was flowing into his body. And what was in the bag were like these army guys. And they were going to go into daddy's body and fight the bad guys. And then when we got to the hospital, he was like, cool, are those the armies? <laughs> and I said, yeah, they're going in, they're going in and, they're, and they're fighting all the bad guys. And, and that was enough of an explanation for him at that time. And it didn't scare him. There was nothing, you know, in that moment to scare him. Uh, Daddy didn't look different. He was just sitting in bed. So, you know, it was all of like a three-minute explanation, the hi, Daddy. He literally climbed up in bed with Randy next to him and was like, can I have the iPad now? And they... <laughs> played on the iPad and they watched TV. So that, you know, first initial trip to the hospital with him, it wasn't a big emotional teardown. It was just, here's daddy. He's, you know, got a little thing going on right now, but he's got the iPad and a comfortable bed with a great view of a TV. And he was like, all right, great. (laughs) So, you know, we just tried to keep it on a very basic level for him. Well, that sounds like it was a great idea and it worked well. Kept keeping it positive for sure. So then Max was going to start kindergarten. Oh, boy, what was that like? Yeah. Bittersweet. It was very bittersweet. Um, we we had my parents. So, I mean, I'll talk about this probably a little later as well. But my parents were here kind of from the get-go. My dad was with us when the diagnosis came in. And, like, within 24 hours, I'm pretty sure my mom had flown down at this point. Um, so my parents were here to do that with me to get him into kindergarten. He's always been close with them. So them being around was not new for Max. And... He was so excited for kindergarten, even before the diagnosis, we would have talks about getting on the bus, and he thought that was so cool. So we wanted all of that to happen for him, and my parents came with me to meet the teachers, like the few days before school starts. And um, just we keep saying we had a lot of stars line up for us throughout this horrible diagnosis. Um, His kindergarten teacher, her husband was a radiation oncologist. So she was really familiar with what we were experiencing. And from the minute Max walked into the classroom, she was wonderful. And so, you know, then the day came to put him on the bus. And my mom and I took him, took pictures, put him on the bus, followed it to the school, (laughs) like I think every parent does. (laughs) And of course, I wished, (laughs) stalking the bus, yeah, I, I, I wished Randy had been there. But I did what I could. And we all put a smile on our face and made it a happy event for him. And said, right after school, we're going to take you up to see daddy. And, you know, I got up to the hospital and showed him the pictures and it was bittersweet, but you do what you have to do for your kids. And sometimes that just means you put on a happy face. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that, no, this is, this is so helpful and appreciated. I know you had a lot of support, Kate, not just your parents, but friends. And I'd love to hear some of your best thoughts on being a caregiver and accepting help from others. Yeah, that's tough. Um, 
I think especially for us moms, you know, we're we're so conditioned to be fine. Everything is fine. I've got this. And it's not easy to accept help, especially, and I'm not saying that I've always been great about giving help, but, you know, we're naturally conditioned to say, oh, you need something. How can I help? And to be the one people were offering help to, that was that was a strange position to be in. So, yeah, I mean, our family was everything. They They were there for us. That was number one who was supporting us in every way. So my parents had been part of this since before the diagnosis, just going through all of the symptoms and trying to figure out what's wrong with him. They knew what was going on, and they had been a part of this. Randy's parents had also come down to support us, and way outside of their comfort zone, they lived in West Tennessee, very small town. It wasn't kind of in their purview to travel much anymore, but they came here, rented a condo for months. She made us dinner, home-cooked every night, and would drop it off at the hospital in a cooler bag so him and I could eat home-cooked dinner at the hospital. That's so wonderful. Um, Yeah. So we had support from friends. We had a pretty good network of friends. The surprising thing to me, I think what I learned was people just don't know what to say when it's something this big. And friends are wonderful, but I learned to give them grace because I'm not sure I would have known what to do or say. And I think it's easy for us to just say, oh, I don't want to bother them right now. They must be so busy. So you don't. And it's not meant out of trying to dismiss what's going on. It's just you literally don't know what to do. And so in the beginning, yeah, it was more of our family, for sure. Just they just had to do what they had to do. And and you have to learn to accept the help. That's a difficult thing to do. I wasn't real receptive at first to, you know, just my mom doing my laundry. I'm like, I'm an adult. I can do my laundry. <laughs> but the truth is you need somebody to do your laundry. So taking that help was paramount in all of this. And the friends, as they started to trickle in, you know, here and there, and some of them did and some of them didn't because it's scary. It's really scary. And something like leukemia, I always say, you know, when somebody gets sick, you want to know why maybe breast cancer run in their family or, you know what I mean? And with leukemia, there's no rhyme or reason for it. And I think that's a really scary thing for some people to be around because you try to omit yourself from that risk. And when they say, well, why did you get this? And you say, I don't know. There isn't, you know, this isn't genetic. Um, it's pretty terrifying. So the friends thing was interesting. And um, besides the help from our family, the, the things that really stood out to me were one of them was I was paired up with another mentor, which is why I do what I do now. Her name's Julie, and her husband went through this about 10 years before we did, maybe a little more. And so they paired me up with her, and I've still never met her face-to-face to this day, but we're friends on Facebook, and she had done exactly what I was doing many years before, and her husband was still alive and well. And I remember she sent me a picture of her family, emailed and said, here's my family, my husband and me and all the kids. Can you pick out in this picture who was ever sick? Because I was saying to her, oh, my, what is going to happen? Our family's never going to be the same. He's always going to be sick. And she said, you know, this is us, whatever it was, 10, 15 years later. Can you tell? And I said, no. Well, that's a great idea. And it was like a beacon of hope for me to have her. How lucky to have a mentor like that. That was amazing. Yes. It, I, I could reach out to her and say, oh, my gosh, she's going back in the hospital. Is this normal? I don't even know. You know, and she would. Yes, this is normal. There's going to be several readmissions. Just, you know, take a deep breath. It's going to be OK. This is what we went through, too. And as much as the family and friends were wonderful, this was somebody who actually really understood 
down to the deepest depths what this was about. So it was priceless to have her support through this. And a lot of it was just email. You know, I don't even know if I called her on the phone. I can't remember if we talked on the phone even, but um, huge. It was a huge resource for me and a calming one at that. So that was one thing for support. And then one of the cool stories I have about that is during the time that he was going through his bone marrow transplant in the hospital, there was like phase one of his treatment, which was, you know, the chemo and getting him into remission. And then the phase two was the bone marrow transplant, two totally different experiences. Um, and during the BMT, well, both phases, I, I stayed in the hospital with them pretty much almost every night. <laughs> um, they gave, you know, put a cot out for me and I was literally next to his bed every single night. I think I spent one night away from him in the entire time. Wow. So I was there every day, all the time. It was my full-time job to just sit with him, be with him, listen to rounds. I needed to be there. And one of my mom's very good friends, who's kind of a second mother to me, sent me a text and she just said, I'm downstairs. I'm in the, the lobby of the hospital and I'll be here until nine o'clock. If you want to come down and have coffee with me, I'd love that. And if you don't feel up to it, it's fine. Just know I'm sitting down here and I'm here until nine o'clock tonight. And I was like, that is the nicest, most considerate and thoughtful thing somebody could do that doesn't know what else to do. It sure is. <laughs> Yeah, it was very touching, you know, because she didn't know I was up in a, not in an isolation room, but I mean, when you go through a BMT, you're definitely in a different wing. Uh, it's definitely more segregated from the other hospital population. And I don't remember the last time I had <laughs> seen anybody um, other than doctors and Randy. So for her to do that, it stuck with me and it just put into perspective, even for me, when I have friends that may go through something too. Instead of saying, let me know if you need something to just like do the thing. And if that means you just buy them a blanket and drop it off on their front porch and you do it, or you sit in the lobby of the hospital and do it without any expectation, because that's the best gift. And that for me was, was huge. And I learned so much just from that one night and that one text. It was super meaningful. That's an incredible story. And I'm just blown away by that. It, now you've got me emotional. I think that is very, very special. And I think we could all learn something from that. Thank you so much for sharing that story. As a family, did you have any rituals or any special things you did that just try to, I know you worked so hard to keep things normal. you have any examples for us? <laughs> well, in the beginning, when, when he was first diagnosed and going through, I think they call it induction. It's funny how much of it you forget. I was in it so much they thought I was a nurse. And now it's been so many <laughs> years that I almost have to remind myself what the terms are. But I think it was the induction uh, phase. It's just the inpatient chemo. You know, first two, three rounds are kind of for this type of leukemia during this time. I'm sure times have changed. But, you know, he was inpatient for about a month the first time and then, you know, home for a couple of days and then back in for another three weeks. It was a lot of hospital time. So... With Max, we would do Friday night pizza night and the staff at the hospital here in Naples, they were just great. I think oncology floors are special for a lot of reasons and the people that work on them are special and they made us feel like family. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> get me again. <laughs> um, you know, we would go get pizza. There was a great little pizza shop across from the hospital and they had cheese curds and I'm from Wisconsin. So that was really big. <laughs> Like, how did I find good cheese curds in Florida? But they did. Good. So we would get Max and go up to the hospital on Fridays and um, get the pizza and the cheese curds and bring boxes of pizza up to the hospital and sometimes enough for the nurses. And then we would just 
hang out in his room and watch TV and play on the iPad and eat the pizza and sleep there. They, the staff had no problem with us sleeping there. Of course, times are different now. But during that time, that was just our Friday night thing. And that's what Max knew. And it was good for Randy. And it was good for all of us to just be there as a family in the beginning stages of all of this. We didn't continue that through the bone marrow transplant for obvious reasons. That's a little bit of a different process. Um, but definitely in those that beginning uh, phase, that was such a great way to spend, spend time, just the three of us. And Max just, it became kind of routine. And he loved all the nurses. He could get off the elevator on that floor and find, you know, <laughs> all the great nurses and the people and they they give him hugs. And yeah, it was amazing. So for us during that time, we kind of did that. Um, as we progressed into the bone marrow transplant, the normalcy for Max, which was the most important part, came from my parents. Oh, that's great. I was focused on Randy at that time. And I understand you needed to uproot Max during this whole entire bone marrow transplant process. What was that like, Kate? Yeah. Um, we chose to go to Wisconsin for his bone marrow transplant. Um, there was some options here in Florida, but we didn't have any support in those areas. And I can't stress enough how much you need to find support. And my parents happened to live 10 or 15 minutes away from a transplant center. And we happened to connect with the head of the bone marrow transplant program at that university. And they took us on as patients or took Randy on as a patient. So that happened, yeah, in the fall. Max had started kindergarten at his school here. And then we had to go and leave right around Halloween. We didn't know when we would come back. And like I keep saying, we were so blessed that Max is so close with my parents that being around them for him is a treat and, you know, nothing to worry about. They kept everything normal. So him just knowing that we were going to Wisconsin to be with Nana and Bumpa and stay at their house, he was excited about that. And at the time, my brother and his family lived there with their children, too. So, you know, he was around his cousins again and... We were able to put him into the school up there. And even his class down here sent him with like a stuffed animal with their signatures or little notes on the stuffed animal. They sent him with a picture. The teacher was just amazing. They did all these things for him. So everybody was very accommodating. Both schools were. And it was cold. <laughs> we had to do winter <laughs> again. And um, But <laughs> Max thought that was kind of cool, you know, to go sledding and with the kids. And it was just a whole new routine. But he handled it. He just went with it. And I think so much of that is just in part to my parents. Um, he was born in Wisconsin. And when he was in daycare, the daycare provider was still living up there at the time and she helped get him off the bus. So it was sort of a village. But my parents were the majority of the reason why his life stayed pretty normal up there. But the transition went really well. I couldn't have asked for a more adaptable child considering everything. Well, it sure sounds like you had so much support and everything just fell into place as much as it could. Being a caregiver, what would you say, Kate, would be your main messaging that you'd like to share? You shared so much already, but is there anything else you want to add that just will help others about to embark on this journey. Yeah. One of the things that stuck out for me, and I maybe it's because I come from aviation and work in aviation, is um, that speech that they give when you're about to take off and the flight attendants say, you know, if we lose pressure, uh, your mask is going to drop down and you need to put yours on first before you help anybody else, including your children. It sounds wrong a little bit. I think, you know, at first we're kind of like, wait, we should help everybody else first. But the truth is, if you can't help yourself, you can't help other people. And 
you have to put your mask on first. I know what that meant for our family. It's going to look different for every other parent and every other family. Um, it doesn't mean that I <laughs> was getting pedicures and doing facials every day or at a spa. Um, it meant the little things for me. Like I had a coworker when Randy was first diagnosed and we were here in Naples. Uh, one of my coworkers said, he's in the hospital right now. Why don't you come to the beach with me for like three hours and let's just <laughs> relax. And yeah, putting my mask on for me meant I said, okay, you know, with Randy's blessing. And he said, go, please go just relax for a few hours because, you know, you're running between, I was trying to work at that time, take care of Max in the hospital, back and forth to rounds. And that's what that means is you catch your breath when you can, you remember to wash your hair or <laughs> eat food um, <laughs> yep. and to let people take care of you. That's the hardest thing I think to accept. And so as a caregiver, I don't know, I thought about our situation kind of like a pyramid where Randy was at the top and then everything underneath that was to support him. And sometimes that meant I was right below him and that everything under that was supporting me because if I was supported, I could focus on Randy and that meant Randy could focus on Randy. And that was the most important part of all of this was that he had to be in a mindset to know that everything was being taken care of, including our son. I had to know <laughs> that he was going to make it through this. Sure. Sure. I think that's a wonderful analogy and it, it just makes so much sense. You're addressing so many things that I think women especially find hard to accept as far as, you know, taking time for yourself and letting others help you. So Kate, we really, really appreciate this. I think you're driving home a super important message. As we all know, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I'm sure there were many bumps in the road, but it sounds like you, together with your village, you were able to get through it together. Would you like to share any final thoughts? Just, you know, have grace with yourself as a caregiver. It's not easy. We're not robots. It's going to be an emotional roller coaster. I remember the doctor, I had a doctor's appointment kind of not long after Randy's diagnosis, and it was just a regular scheduled one telling them about this and what was happening. And he, he said, uh, we're going to give you some Xanax and an antidepressant. And I said, no way. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I'm not, I don't need that <laughs> stuff. So then I think we talked about it with Randy's oncologist and they were like, it'd probably be a good idea. <laughs> like it's not going to hurt anything. <laughs> and I said, I've never taken a Xanax before. <laughs> this is crazy. And they're like, just keep it in your pocket in case. And sure enough, I mean, I, for the first time in my life had a few panic attacks. I had no idea what they were. I know now why they came. I remember the situations, but it's scary and it's it's emotional. And there's just sometimes, you know, we're human and, um, you know, you can only take so much sometimes. And there are things when you're really invested in a person that are scary to hear. And um, sometimes you have to take that information and take a deep breath. And then for me, it was sometimes I had to take a Xanax. <laughs> and I hate to say that, but yep. it was scary. And there were times I needed to learn to catch my breath. And I remember there was, I had a scary moment and my mom wasn't in town and I called her because I literally didn't know what to do the next minute. And she said, you need to first deep breathe. And then you need to just take half of one of those and that'll help you catch your breath. And it's not a promotion for anything, but I just, the point is, is that, you know, we all think we're strong and we are, but there is help from all different angles and you have to kind of set your pride aside a little bit so that you can be the best version of you so that you can get through this so that you can get your loved one through this, your loved ones through this. And that takes help of all different forms. And I was just very lucky to have people that were willing to convince me 
because I'm pretty stubborn to take the help (laughs) and be okay with that. Absolutely, Kate. This was so great. And I know that many are going to benefit from hearing this. And I thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. How's everybody today? How's Max? Oh, he's fantastic. He's great. He's, you know, I, I knowing and preparing for this, you know, we've asked, I, I do, it's talked about, what do you remember of this? It's just, he's doing great. He's going into, he's in eighth grade now. I can't believe it. He just turned 13. So now we officially have a teenager, which is mind blowing. Um, <laughs> Get ready. And <laughs> it's hard. It's so hard to wrap my head around that. Um, <laughs> and this was a blip on his radar. I mean, my story isn't going to apply to everybody. He knows, and we've talked about it very openly, that if this happened at this age for him, it would be so much different. But what I'm proud of is that we didn't put the burden of us adults on him at the time. He just didn't need to know all the statistics and the medicine and the, you know, yes, he saw some of it, but for a five-year-old and now he's 13, you know, this wasn't a traumatic experience for him because we made it not traumatic. We just decided. It's not that we shielded him from it. He saw Randy lose a lot of weight. He saw Randy get very sick during the times he was home. But because he was so loved and so taken care of and had the stability of family around it to this day, it's. I don't want to say it's a non-issue. He'll remember it and he'll have more questions as he gets older about it, I'm sure. But he's a healthy, happy 13-year-old. And this was just something he knows that happened in the past. And it's not a factor anymore. And Randy is completely fine, completely healthy, no GVHD, no side effects. He is 110% how he was before he was sick, which is a miracle. I understand it's a miracle. It sure is. It is. He's eight years post-BMT now. Um, it would be November 14th. This year will be eight years, um, the day he got the transplant. And this time of year is a little bit harder for him and I both. We think about you know where we were eight years ago on September 1st and what was going on. And it was intense. But everybody's healthy and happy. And I think we're better people for going through what we did. Oh, thank you, Kate. This was tremendous. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me. I hope this helps somebody. Oh, it's going to help many people. And at the link, we also have a mentor program. And I'll include that link in the show notes so that if anybody is looking for a mentor like you had, uh, they would be able to work with our licensed social worker, Jennifer Gillette, to uh, find a buddy and get through it together. Yeah, I can't recommend that enough. Thanks again, Kate. Thank you so much, Peggy. I appreciate it. This has been the Marrow Masters podcast. Feel free to share this episode via text, email, or social media. To hear more, subscribe for free to Marrow Masters in your favorite podcast app. To learn more about the resources available to both patients and caregivers, check out the National Bone Marrow Transplant link at nbmtlink.org. That's nbmtlink.org, or just follow the link in our show notes.